without each one of you just imparting um, a part of heaven in my life. And I just thank everybody here for that. Um, I am going to Columbia on March 13th. For many of you um, that know me, I have a father who went to prison when I was 15, um, was convicted of something he didn't do. So innocently, I watched my family fall apart completely, um, go down to the deepest, darkest places. Um, How many of you were here last Sunday to hear Byron's message? Great message, huh? Pretty powerful. The presence of the Father was so thick in this room. And I just want to share with you really what he imparted to me on Sunday and um, what I really believe he has for just the whole body, the whole church. Um, Last Sunday, I just, when Byron was sharing, I just felt my soul, the deepest place in my soul, just awaken and just dreams that I used to daydream of all the time and you know, the enemy would come after me saying, you're so silly, what are you thinking, you know, that, that'll that never happen, it's too big, it's impossible. And um, the great thing is, is that God has so much power and so much love for those desires that he's placed in us such a long time ago. He is calling those deepest places, those places that we have forgotten about were even there, the places that have so much anointing that when it, you just start to begin to share his love, that it just overtakes hearts. And I just wanted to read something to you because we've all gone through a process of waiting. I've waited so long to see my father outside of the prison walls. I've waited so long. And as I began to ponder on that thought of running to my dad when I get off the airplane, him being completely free outside of prison walls, I then began to think of how we run to the Father when we're fully free. How when everything, all the walls are broken down, there's just one path and it's just straight. And you just run wholeheartedly. And so I just want to share really quick something um, that I wrote the other night and I really feel is for everybody here. And I hope that it just restores hope in your heart. And... um, I'll just share this. The title is The Wait, and it says, The wait can be many of things. It can be waiting for your husband to be, waiting for your sick one to be healed, waiting for your child to return to loving Jesus wholeheartedly, and so on. The wait is exceptionally challenging. At times we think of giving up. This would be easier, however, would it bring forth the destiny of the wait, probably not. Many other outcomes would be dramatically different from the valley of what destinies meant, the reward, if we just give up. If it is, or it is a gift to go through this valley, although it can be long, traumatizing, and a very hard place. Sorry, I'm losing my spot. Um, traumatizing, a very hard place. Very dark place. However, The way we allow ourselves to be carried during this time is important. What we bring with us along the valley determines how we will come out of it. As darkness surrounds and tries to engulf every bit of life you have left, one must push through. One must glance back to the past, look ahead, and remember who stands right beside them always. One must remember the significance of what it took for Jesus to allow him to stand in the midst of our presence. Yes, Jesus fully gave himself for us, suffering for us to gain the reward, and the reward is him. He enjoys your beauty in every step you take towards the reward. This must be noted. It is taken seriously. The weapons you have been given are far more powerful than you know. They are eternal. The weapon of worship is one of the most crucial weapons. This is a weapon that is is an inviting act of surrender. Another weapon you obtain is peace. This this weapon quiets your soul and allows you to rest along the way. Above all, the weapon of love is the greatest. It destroys anything and everything in its way. It is fierce. 
There is nothing that can separate you from the weapon of love. It undoes many things in one's heart that needs to be undone. Do not be afraid of the unknown. Let go of the knowing and allow yourself to just breathe in pure love of the all-knowing. You should know that above all, you are loved. No matter how hard it may be to trust at times, let the voice of wisdom and truth speak louder than any other. Endurance is yet another great weapon to have. This means you have the power to bear prolonged exertion, pain, and hardship. In the valley, there are many lies that we can choose to believe. It's pure deception. My friend, if you're walking through the valley of the weight, carry on. Do not allow your main focus to be shifted into believing everything that rings to be not true. These lies can try to repress deeper and deeper into your train of thoughts, but be sure to guard your heart and avoid full contact with them. Or, as one might say, you can face them. The main lie is that you have been abandoned, and this is just the enemy's first point of target to your heart. When you feel this, ask the king of kings to remove any sting. The removal of these bad arrows may hurt, and when they start to come out, Allow the last part of the arrow to be taken out, and if you don't try to stop it. If you do, you have become comfortable with this arrow and its place of its wound. When this happens, tell fear in its face to go, because no matter how much blood you lost, you can choose to believe and trust. You will breathe once again deeper than ever before. You will once again breathe love and not pain. Your heart will be restored to its fullest potential, and you will be more alive than you have ever been before. The weight is worth enduring. It's a reward that is well worth it all. And when you face the reward face to face, love and peace hit you like a wave. And only this time you can absorb this wave. And it penetrates to the deepest parts of your soul. I oftentimes compare my heart and to being a well. And when the well springs up with so much love that he has for me, there's no, feeling, there's no telling how far that this love will spread. For this is who he is. He is love. And this is who we are. We are the very essence of our character, love. And we will praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I will endure the weight wholeheartedly. And now I come running to you freely. So basically, I just feel that hope and um, just families are going to be restored. And um, I just want to say a quick prayer for that. So if we can just all just put your hands over your heart. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would just breathe fresh love upon us, Lord, and that you would overtake these dreams that we dare to dream, Lord, that the impossible becomes possible, Lord. We have waited for so long, and we have given up so much, and we've lost so much, Lord, but during the wait, we have discovered so many things, so many beautiful things, Lord, that we now carry, and we can move forward in, Lord. So we just pray for hope to arise and completely take over our being, Lord, and for love to go forth before us, Lord, and for peace to surround us, Lord, that the world would know a peace that comes only from heaven, Lord, only from your character, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for these hearts, Lord. Any pain, Lord, that's just deep within these hearts, Lord, you just remove them now in Jesus' name. Just remove them, Lord. And like a well, just fill our hearts, Lord, with your joy and your comfort, Lord, and your promises. Because now, this year, is a time of promises. It is a time of hope. It is a time of dreams to be walked out and the funny thing is, is the dreams that we try to imagine aren't even, aren't even close to what he has. So just keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. These are seeds for the future. So just keep dreaming bigger and bigger and bigger. It doesn't end. There is no ending. There's no ending because it is eternal. 
And Lord, I just thank you for everything that you've done in my life, Lord. I want to say that I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And I just pray that you would just bring happiness back, Lord. Just happiness, just that pure happiness of just to be happy, Lord. And I love you so much, Lord, and I pray for these dear people, Lord, that you would just surround them every days of their lives, Lord. And I pray over Byron, Lord, that you would just increase the anointing, Lord, on him, that that would just arise in his veins like never before, Lord, that the words that come out of his mouth, Lord, be straight from heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. That's pretty good, isn't it? Wow. Well, I wish I could do that good. <laughs> she has a great way of communicating that reaches people in a different way. I hope you got that. Now, it was the Holy Spirit really speaking to people this morning. I just thank you, Sarah, for doing that. That was good. Now, you're leaving. When are you leaving? The 13th. The 13th. So we'll pray for you next Sunday to go. And it's just awesome that she's going to go and get to see her dad. And like she said, to be able to see him free, not through bars, and, and spend a couple of weeks in Columbia, South America. That's going to be great. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, you know, she, I'm glad she was able to share that. And this was the second part of that message I gave last week. And I'm going to really try to be really disciplined which, you know, I am a very disciplined person, actually, but I don't, I'm not always disciplined when I talk uh, because, I, you know, I like to talk out of my heart, and my heart doesn't really like the, like my discipline part of me sometimes. But I've written down a lot of things just to kind of help me do this. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is the, is the dream of the Lord, the dream of God for river life. And, of course, you can apply this to yourself personally because... You know, dream, like as she well said, dreams are part of what gives us uh, life, and it's part of what God does to help us live this life. And I've written down a few things about dreams just to start. <clears throat> uh, dreams give us a purpose and help us to discover why we were born. They give us a purpose and help us to discover why we were born. Uh, I believe that the discovery of your dream is one of the highest important, most high important thing that you'll ever do in your life is discover the dream that God has placed in you. Um, because a dream is literally like the breath of the future being breathed on you. And it's like the, it's, it creates a heartbeat of passion in you. Okay? Uh, it's, it's what caused you to get up in the mornings. Uh, and, and it's what caused you to make decisions uh, in your life, important decisions, the most important decisions that you're going to make in your life really should come from a dream in your heart. Nothing else. Because that's really what God gives us. It, uh, you know, I was talking about being disciplined. Uh, my dreams in my life, all the, th- the reasons I have discipline in my life is I have dreams in my life. Like a natural dream for me would, uh, you know, when I'm 70 years old, is to be able to continue running and lifting weights. For me to, to fulfill that dream, I had to be disciplined now. It's a dream that I believe God's given me in my life is to, to stay uh, healthy as I get older. That's a real practical thing. A dream helps you to determine uh, if you're going to go to college or not go to college, go to the military or go to a vocational school. That's what a dream will tell you to do. It'll tell you to, to make these decisions uh, it uh, dreams help us decide who's going to be our friends, who we're going to hang around with, uh, who we're not going to hang around with, what we're going to read, what we're going to fill our minds and hearts with. That's what dreams do do for us. Um, uh, it has been said that the poorest person is never the one without wealth, but the person without a dream. I didn't make that up. I read that. I thought it was cool. Uh, let me say that again. It has been said that the poorest person is never the one without wealth, but the person without a dream. They're, they're the most bankrupt people they are on the earth. Uh, if we're going to live a life filled with purpose, it must include a dream because there's no purpose apart from a dream. Uh, now, what a dream is, uh, pretty simply, a dream is an invisible picture of the life that God has designed specifically for you and I. 
is an invisible picture of the life that God has designed for you. Uh, we could call that a vision. I'm choosing to use the word dream uh, because I just personally like dream better than vision because of other things in my life. Vision speak to, to me in a different way. But, you, can, you know, the Bible says without vision, people perish. Without, we could say without a dream, people perish. I'm using those two terms interchangeably. Dreams are about hope, as Sarah uh, emphasized. Without hope, faith doesn't work in your life because there's no faith apart from hope. And love doesn't work. Love doesn't operate without faith, uh, without hope being there. See, hope's the central. It's like the greatest is faith, hope, and love. Right? And, you know, hope is the thing in the middle that makes love and faith become functional. Uh, I believe that God uh, first designed our purpose in life before He created us. And then He created us. And that comes right out of the Bible. It comes out of Ephesians 2.10 where it says that God has created good works that we should walk in them. That's the purpose that God created for us. Each of you, each person in this room has a purpose that God created for you, for you to walk in. He created that for you. So you can that's the dream. The dream causes you to know that purpose so you can walk out the life that God has given you. Um, I don't I personally believe uh, that <clears throat> we were made that we were not made without a purpose or that we were made to find our purpose. I don't think we look for our purpose. I think our purpose finds us. I think it comes looking for us. I don't believe we had to go and seek out this road that God has for us, the good works that we're supposed to walk in. I believe God will bring that to us if we allow our hearts to dream. Are you following that? You see, I think a lot in Christianity we're seeking a purpose. We're seeking after something. And a lot of people find, uh, adopt a purpose or get a purpose instead of allowing the purpose of God to come to you. Um, now, this is really important. God's the dream giver. Okay? You can't create this dream. I really don't believe in creating dreams. I believe in allowing God to create the dream. But He does allow us. It's like God creates the picture, and then He hands us the crayons and says, Start coloring. Okay? But He, he gives you the picture, and, and He gives you the crayons, really, to paint in there and make it look the way it's going to, going to look. Every time in the Bible where a person had a personal encounter with the Lord... Okay, God began to reveal to that person the dream that he had for their life. And, you know, of course, here's just some notable examples. Uh, he gave Abraham a, be a, a dream to be a father of many nations. He gave Noah a dream to build an ark. He gave Moses a dream to free the people of God from slavery. He gave Joshua a dream to fulfill and bring the people of God into the promised land. He gave Peter a dream to have the keys of the kingdom. He gave the Apostle Paul a dream on the road to preach the gospel before kings. These were all encounters from the Lord. That's how we get a dream is we have an encounter with the Lord. We have something real with God. And our life begins to be shaped by, that, by what God reveals to us in the encounter. Are y'all following this? Let me just say this. Dreams are never, are never easy. Okay, they're never easy. Dreams are not, we're not talking about something easy here. We're talking about something that's very challenging and very difficult. They require faith, courage, and resilience. Or be a resilient person. If you're going to have a dream, you have to be very resilient. There's going to be a lot of disappointments, a lot of false starts. There's going to be a lot of failure in your life when it comes to dreams. Many people don't fulfill their dreams because they can't stand the failure. Yet God has created the things such that failure is necessary because failure purifies us. Failure removes the, the us from it and brings the God into it. Okay? Um, dreams require us to, to walk not by what we see in the natural, but what we see in the Spirit. That's, that's what they require of your life. What you're hearing and seeing in the Spirit, that's what a dream is going to require, how it's going to require you to walk. Uh, every dream from God... Every true dream from God is going to go through a fire. Okay? And, and everything that God does in a person's life, every, I've learned this. Unfortunately, I've learned it the hard way. Everything that God gives you must be tested by fire. You find out after the fire is over with what you really truly possess. 
See, many people possess what they think is calling, gift, and dreams. But when the fire comes, you find out really what do you really have when the fire's over with. Okay? And so God brings fires into our life to let us, let us know what do you possess. Ultimately, your dreams, when you, once you go through the fire over your dreams or over anything really, over your purpose, over your destiny, once you go through the fire, then you're going to really know what you really have. You really own it after the fire or you really don't own it after the fire. Okay? Now that's really important because what happens with a lot of people is they lose their dreams in the fire. And you really don't have to lose your dreams in the fire. And the reason we lose the dream in the fire is we realize we, it's <clears throat> the thing that makes a dream not be a, a nightmare is the Lord Himself. Okay? See, every fire that God brings into my life, your life, is to connect us with Him, to get us stay grounded in Him. You see, at best, a dream apart from the Lord Himself is going to be a disappointment and discouragement to you. That's at best. That's on its best day. You're going to be, it's going to discourage you over and over and over. And you're going to want to quit over and over. At worst, it really becomes a nightmare to you. Are y'all following this? And so God wants to give everybody. He, I think what Sarah was saying and what I was really believing that the Lord was trying to do last week was to awaken the dreams again in a people, in a church that's gone through a terrible season of fire. Okay? And so you, I've come to the conclusion in my life that I've gone through a terrible fire in my life. A terrible fire. And I've lost some things in the fire. I've lost some, some things that can't be replaced, period. You can replace a lot of things, okay? You can replace buildings. You can replace ministries. But you can't replace human beings, okay? You can't replace the people that, that we've lost. Never. They will never. They're irreplaceable because God, there's nothing else that can replace any human being. And so... But I have discovered some things that, that I didn't lose, okay? And I, did, I didn't lose my dream in my heart. At the end of the day, I didn't lose it. It was still there. Now, I'll be honest with you. Been, there was moments when I hated the dream. There was moments when I wanted to cast a dream into, into the hell that it was causing in my life. That's the way I felt about it. But, but at the end, when, when I felt like I, at the end of the day, at the end of the fire, so to speak, when I felt like I, have, I was crispy and was was covered in soot from the fire, I feel like I still had the dream burning in my heart. And so I know the dream has been purified. I know God has done what He, he will do with it. And so I believe there's many people in this room, you've gone through the fire. We as a church corporately have gone through the fire. And this is where we stand today. This is it. We're, we are what we are right this moment. We've been through the fire. Okay? They was, fortunately for us, as, as in the book of Daniel says, they was that fourth man walking around in the furnace with us. There was moments when we didn't see the fourth man. You know what I'm saying? You know who that fourth man was. There was some times we thought, where is the fourth man? You know I mean? Come on. I mean, how did we get in the fire and how, did, how come he left us in the fire? But I'll tell you, he was in the fire with us. He was right there with us. Okay? And you know how you tell a person's going to have their dreams? Okay, you know that old thing people have said is is uh, you're either going to be bitter or better. Yeah. Now I I don't necessarily could say that I can't pull a verse out of the Bible that says that, but I really do believe when we go through the fire that we come out one or two ways. You know I don't think there's a third option. I think we're either going to be better in the sense this is how I feel like I came through it. I feel like I was better in a sense. I had a greater love for Christ. I had a, more of a desire for Him than I did my dreams because I realized if I don't have Him, my dreams are going to become my nightmare. Okay? And I feel like I came out of the fire with that fourth man. And I feel like I came out of that fire with, with my vision, my dreams for my life more defined, more understood. And, and so that's what makes you better is Him. Okay, if you're in, if you're coming out of the fire, you may have lost everything in the fire. It may, it may be all gone. <laughs> Your bank account may have gotten burned up. But if you came out of the fire with him, then you came out right. Amen. Well, I wanted to tell you about the dream that I have with this church. Some of you know this dream now. <clears throat> the dream is, I believe that God has called us to be a dwelling place for Him. That's my dream. If you had to really boil it down to one simple thing, one simple dream that I have is I, 
have shared many times that I believe in the last days, I shared it with you last week, I'll say it again, in the last days there are going to be places on the earth of God's seen and felt presence where people can come to those places and find the Father, find the Son, and find the Holy Spirit. That's my dream for this church. I believe God has called this church to be a dwelling place on the earth where He lives, where He's at, and where people can come and find Him no matter what state they're in, no matter what the condition of their life is. And so that's my dream for this church. I believe that is God's dream. I didn't get that dream. Like I said, I didn't come up with that dream. That was a dream that was been in me from the time I got saved, really. I didn't really know it you know, some years back that I began to understand this is the dream of God. This is not uh, just a thing of wanting to have a move of God or wanting to have a revival or wanting to have something. This is way, this is beyond that. It's about the dwelling. It's about God living in a place and us living with Him because it is God's dream for Him to live with us and be manifest amongst us. So what the key is, is what does this look like practically? Okay, is how do you take this dream and begin to outwork it in your life? That's what we all have to figure out, is how do you outwork It's like, you know, my little easy example. I want to be fit when I'm 70. How do I work that out in my life? Well, right now, I'm working, I'm working out my life by exercising regularly. That's what I'm doing. Okay, that's just as practical as I can get on it. Uh, you know, I'm not giving up a whole lot of food these days, but, you know, I mean, there's only certain limits, okay? I mean, I, I gave up sweets for two months until yesterday. <laughs> and somebody put a big old piece of baklava, and I started eating it again. But I did that because I ate so many sweets over Christmas that I became addicted to them. And I realized every time I would eat something, like, i got to have some sweets, man. You know, so I was wanting to eat sweets all the time. I got to get out of this sweet thing. I'm gonna die from sweets, you know. But I got this little revelation, like, well, I can eat sweets on the weekend, right? <laughs> you know, I'll not eat them Monday through Friday, but you know, maybe I'll just eat them on the weekends. <laughs> Make up for all those days. Anyways, anyways, we all have a dream. And we have to do something about the dream when God allows us to do it. And I think we're at a place where I'm saying, I want to move on the dream again. Okay, that's where I'm at. I feel like I'm, I got God saying, move on the dream. Go for the dream. And so my point to the Lord is, Lord, how do we do this? And so, believe it or not, if you've been at this church since October of last year, I have been doing, since we came back in the building, after God did the big adjustment on the building, the, the spine adjustment. That's what Jake Hicks said. Well, God was just adjusting the spine of this church because we were out of line. I thought that was a word. Like, you know, your spine gets adjusted when it's not lined up with the head, right? Well, God wanted to get our get us lined up with Him. And so I've been trying to get to this moment, okay, which honestly... It was probably the scenic route, right? You know, so I took everybody on my scenic route of what I really believe. But I think the common thing, if you can think about it, it has been the the presence of the Lord. It's what I've really tried to emphasize. And so this is what I'm saying is how I want to see this church practically implement this dream, okay? And so it's all right in the Bible. There's nothing out of what I'm saying is not just... Easy. I'm copying everything from the Bible is what I'm telling you, okay? I'm just a cheater. It's in the Bible. I'm copying that, okay? But it's something that God has really shown me, and then I found it in the Bible, actually. That's how it really worked. Let me just read this, Acts 2, 42 through 47, okay? This is famous, okay? It says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. This is the early church, of course, the beginnings. Now all who believed were together, and all had things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone have, had need. 
So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Isn't that powerful? What God did, and so the early church had these. They had the early church had four priorities, and this is the way I've listed the priorities. Okay, now I'm not just number one is worship. Number two is an atmosphere. Okay, number three was a refuge, and number four is prayer. Okay, those are four things that are in those verses right there that the early church determined. This is what we're doing. Somehow they determined it. They just did it. Worship, atmosphere, refuge, and prayer. Okay, Matthew Bollinger came up with this great little thing called warp. Y'all know, how many people know what a warp drive is? Come on, is there only a, come on, warp drives, everybody should know it. Literally, they, science is on the breakthrough of creating a warp drive. And a warp drive is a drive for a rocket or some device that actually exceeds the speed of light. Yep, that's what a warp drive is. So that's what... I'm just telling you what Matthew, he didn't tell me about that, but I was a Star Trek man. I'm a Star Trek. When he said warp, you know, you know, you think something is warped, is bent wrong. I think warp drive, man. We're fixing to go somewhere fast. Speed of light. Come on. Yeah. So these, these are our four most important values to this church. This is how I see us being that dwelling place, being that place of presence, cultivating that. Allowing God to build that in us and become that. Okay, the first one's worship. As they said, I want to read John 4.23 to you. It says, The hour is coming and now is. That's what Jesus said, is now is. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So the Father is seeking worshipers. Okay, I think I've said that many times. God is not just seeking worship. He's seeking the person. Okay, he's, God is looking in the earth. He's looking upon earth. He's looking at churches. He's looking at individuals to be worshipers. He's looking for the people who will say in their heart, I'm a worshiper. That's what I am because that's what the Father desires. He's told us clearly, I desire the worshipers. I'm looking for the worshipers. Will somebody become a worshiper? He's not just asking people to, to come and sing songs. He's asking people to become worshipers. To live a life of worship. Okay? And see, so he's asking churches that when they come together, that they come together and be worshipers together. Now, it's interesting because worship, if you really begin to look at worship, uh, the whole lifestyle of the kingdom of God is rooted in worship. Okay? The whole, if the whole Bible is rooted in worship of God, the whole Old Testament, all the stuff they were doing, they were trying to tell us something about how God wanted our lives to be rooted in something, and it's in worship. Um, because the heart of worship always does one thing. It always declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what the ultimate end of worship is, because whoever is worshipped in the spiritual realm is truly the Lord. Do, do you all hear, hear what I'm saying to you? It, it, when we are worshiping the Lord, we're not going through some emotional thing. We're declaring something in the spiritual world. We're, we're making a statement in the heavenly places. When you stand up and sing a song in church with other people or at your house or however you worship, you are making a statement in the spiritual realm. You are making a huge statement in spirit. You are determining your allegiance. You are determining where you stand as a human being in relation to God, you are saying to Him, You are the Lord. You are God, and I bow to you. Everything in us at that point, it takes the focus off in you and I. That's what worship really is supposed to do. We don't come to church to worship, to get an experience. We come to worship actually to take our eyes off ourselves to take our eyes off our dreams, to take our eyes off our problems and place them on Him. That's what true worship really does. It gets us out of self. It puts us into the spirit realm with Him, and He becomes the focus because in the spiritual world, Christ is the center of everything. And if He is going to have a dwelling place on the earth, He must always be the center. 
He must always be the center. No person can usurp him. No style can usurp him. No anything can usurp him. And that's what, why worship is the, is the war in heaven between the devil and his legions in the kingdom of heaven because the devil is looking for worship. That's why the devil was willing to give Jesus everything he owned on this earth. He said, I'll give it all to you. He showed him all the riches of the world, everything. You can have it all, Jesus, if you'll worship me. Because the devil's not a fool. He knows whoever's who's worshipped is on top. When you and I worship Jesus, we're saying Jesus is on top. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, for a person to come to church or a person to refuse to worship is a refusal to acknowledge Christ as Lord. It is the biblical way. i got to spit on this. He might have to clean it out again. Jacob said he cleaned this thing out the other day. The my, and it's got a little screen inside of it. He said it was filthy. I said it was Matthew. Some, it was Matthew carrying on making this thing filthy. It was Marlon, actually. It was Marlon. I, yeah, it was Marlon. I wrote this down. Worship orients our whole being. Imaginations, will, hope, and dreams away from self away from the world, and towards the person of Christ. It totally orients us. Uh, Joe Garlington, he's a black preacher who's really an, an amazing singer and an amazing preacher from, from Pennsylvania. And Joe Garlington, uh, I heard him say this one time, he talking about connecting into the spiritual realm, and he said, you know what, when I can't sit connecting to the spiritual realm, you know what I do? I just stop what I'm doing and start worshiping. Because when I worship, I'm in the Spirit. And see, that's really what God's looking for in the earth. He's looking for people like that who had that heart. He's just looking for worshipers. It doesn't matter how you worship. I mean, if it mattered, I wouldn't be getting in. I can't sing. I can't carry a beat. I can't do any of those things. I mean, I'm awkward. I'm foolish. I feel like an idiot. Okay, I'm self, I'm, I'm just, I feel like a fool when I come to church to sing. Because, you know, I can't sing. I can't, and I'm singing off beat. They're saying one thing. I'm all mixed up, you know. But see, then none of that matters to God. What He's looking at is the heart of worship. And that's all He's looking for. And so I believe Christ needs to be centered in this church. I believe He needs to be the focused. Okay? And I believe how we do that is we be a people that worship and say that we're going to be a worshiping people. Amen? I did want to say one thing about the Tabernacle of David before I move on from worship. I've got to hurry up, but... Uh, tabernacle of David is the only tabernacle in the Bible, the only dwelling place in the Bible that the Bible clearly states this will be rebuilt. The primary focus of the tabernacle of David was worship. King David knew that if I can get the presence of God here, I can change the nation. I can change the nation with the presence. That's what he knew. I'll, I can change and turn this nation. And history proves that Israel was the most glorious and prosperous nation in those 33 years that David ruled and had this presence with him. Okay, and David, the, the main thing that David did, you know, all the good other things he did, but the main thing he did is he made sure God was worshipped 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what he did. It's a response to His presence. So, I believe when I talk about the presence of the Lord being manifested, I'm talking about this tabernacle of David that the Bible clearly states. I think it's Acts 15. It's going to be raised up again. Amen. All right, the second thing is, W-A-R-P, is atmosphere. It's what we call the Father's living room. This is really important to us, the Father's living room. We want a living room approach to church. In other words, we've made some decisions in our heart. We want it to be more casual, more relaxed, like our living room in a house. That when people come into a living room, they can come in, they can sit down and enjoy this person called God the Father, that he's in this living room. And it says in Acts 2, some of the words that they used to describe this living room was gladness, simplicity, and unity. Gladness, simplicity, and unity. That's really somehow God wants His house to be. He wants it to be a happy place. He don't want it to be a drooling, you know, dro you know, whatever they call that, sad stuff. He wants it to be a happy place overall. 
He wants people to be glad they're there. He wants people to enjoy themselves when they're there. He didn't have a whole lot of rules. You know, he has a few rules, but a whole lot, a whole lot. You know, and he wants people to be able to come and experience his presence. Any person, every person. Okay, one of the quotes that I read a few years ago that just so captured my heart, it captures my heart at this moment, is by a man named George MacDonald. I think he was a, he was a Scottish like father from an earlier age. He, says, he said this, This is and has been the Father's work from the beginning to bring us in to the home of His heart. This is our destiny, to be brought into the home of His heart. And so what I see this church being a place like the home of the Father's heart, that we can come into this place, people can come into this place. I was so, so blessed this morning. Uh, Rhonda and Terry Manning were sitting here, and I had all these little children around them. And I was seeing God in heaven on His throne making decisions. Well, what are we going to do about Iran? What are we going to do about Israel? And I saw all these little kids sitting at the foot of His throne while he made the decisions that would mark the world, all the little children that had been aborted on earth or died young on earth, now they're up there in heaven sitting around like those little children were. They're doing worship in an atmosphere. That's why. That's what we're going for. That's what I want. And when people, I've had people say, I can't stand all that. I'm thinking, you're in the wrong church. I love that because I think that's what heaven's like. I think heaven's a place where children can come and be in God's presence and sit on the steps Okay, and somehow God is touching them children down in their deep selves that they're going to grow up one day and they're going to have something in them, you know, that they don't even know how they got it. The parents are probably going to take credit for it. We'll give them credit for it. Come on, you can have all the credit in the world. We just want to get in on what God's doing. And I really firmly believe that, that God is interested in generations. And I'll tell you, we... This is what I believe about our generation. My generation is an orphan generation. We are an orphan people. We think like orphans. We think from lack. We think from rules. And we can never be fathered enough. And I believe God wants to father the world. I believe He wants, because He says He's the father of all men. That's what He said. He's, but He's just saying, they have, those, these, the mankind have got lost from me. They're out there. They're lost. I'm looking for places that they can come in and find out that I'm their daddy. And find out what I'm really like and find out what my heart is. Luke 15 is one of the great stories in the Bible about that, about two sons. One left the house. There's a lot of sons that leave the house. Got lost out there in the world. Okay? But he came back. You know, he came back. There's going to be some sons that are going to come back. Sons and daughters are going to come back to the Father. I'm telling you they are. They're going to come back. Okay? And, but there was another one who was, lived in the house, but he was just as lost as that boy out there. He didn't know the Father. He didn't know what he had. It actually tells us in the story that when he gave his wealth to the son that left, he gave it to both of them. Yet the other brother never was able to receive it. And he lived right there in that house with that daddy and could not get it. I'm shocked. I'm shocked sometimes when I talk to people that's been in this church for years and they start talking about, about the revelation of the Father like they're just, just like they heard it for the first time. I'm happy. I'm happy they're getting it. But I'm thinking, wow, where have you been all these years? Well, you know where they've been. I planted the polished water, but God gave the increase. God has a timing on, on everything. But we can be lost in the midst of what God's doing. There's people in this room right now. I'm, I'm sure you can sit back and look at what's going on here and be totally disconnected from it. Look, look at the fault in it. Look at the problem in it. You know, I'm sure you can. I, when, I'm, when I feel disconnected from God, I can see everything that's wrong in this place. I can see everything that's wrong. Everybody's wrong. Why are they yelling? Why, what in the world is them over there doing that for, you know? I mean, are they crazy? But boy, I tell you what, when I'm connected in, I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking that's the most beautiful thing there is because that's the Father at work doing what He desires to do is let people know He cares enough about them to touch them and to heck with what everybody else in the family feel. You know? He says to everybody else, y'all be all right, but this person's important right now. Don't you love a father like that that's willing to take one person Big, little, famous, or infamous. 
and say, I care about you. They'll be all right. Don't worry about them. I'll talk to them later about you. That's what he did in Luke 15. He was all mad because of the way the father was in there having this gladness and party. Are you okay? But I believe there's a generation coming up. I do believe this about a generation that's going to take this revelation of the father and take it way further. Way further. And I'm saying, Lord, bring those people because I want them to bring me further. I don't have it. I want to go further myself. I know there's more about you that I don't see yet. Bring that generation of people, those young people that get it, that really get it more than I'll get it because they're going to be here a lot longer than I'm probably going to be here. I'm going to wind up being the guy on the sideline cheering them on. Yeah. So anyways, in that atmosphere, there's healing, there's... There's missions, there's grace. That's the atmosphere. Grace culture, healing culture, missions culture. Okay, I gotta hurry. I got man, I've been spending a lot of time on them too. I'm sorry. All right, the third one is this thing called a place of refuge. Now this is something that only last year God really began to show me. This was really on his heart, is for the church to be a refuge. When I uh you know that we had this guy, Big Pond. Y'all anybody remember Chief Big Pond that came here? couple years ago when Chief Big Pond and I went out to the property out there in Shinville and he kept saying this place is a refuge I said no it's not no this is a refuge no it's not that's what I kept I wasn't saying it like that but like you don't know what you're talking I thought you knew stuff man you know he's a, a chief from Oklahoma and he knows he's, he says my thing is, is is the land I can feel things about land about dirt I can walk on the land and feel things about it I can feel the what's happened there. So that's why I want to get him. He starts talking to me about this place being a refuge. God's looking for refuges. He's looking for sanctuaries where people can come. That's what he's looking for. And sure enough, what do we find in Acts 2, in verse 44? It says, all who believed were together and had things in common. Now, I'm not suggesting we go and sell everything. You probably wouldn't do it anyway. If you were smart, you wouldn't, okay? I'm not saying, but I'm saying there's a picture here. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, that's what he's talking about. It's talking about caring for each other. It's talking about a loving environment where people's, people can be taken care of. And God's concerned that people's natural needs are taken care of. That people have not only their, not only their spiritual needs, their physical you know, bodily needs for healing, but he's also concerned about their if they don't have groceries on the table. I mean, honestly, he's really concerned about that, whether we think it or not. And he's calling us to be this refuge where people can come. And we're making this little step. It's a little step, but it's a huge step. You know, one small step for man, one giant step for man. For us, it's a small step to say, we're going to start gathering food, and we've got a person who can do this. And, and begin, right, we'll start with people in the church to help people in the church who have needs. Then we'll be, they'll begin to tell people in the community. And people in the community can come and they can get food and they can get ministered to. They can get loved. And something will happen in their life because God is saying, I'm a refuge. I want to gather these people. I want to, I want to gather the poor. I want to gather the hurting. And I'm looking for people who are willing to allow them to be gathered and, and, and the mess that they bring with them because they're going to be kind of messy like we're not <laughs> it's just another level of mess somebody said this place is messy Byron. of course it is we are not a showroom we never wanted to be a show we want to be a workshop workshops need to be cleaned up they are dusty there's stuff flying there's sparks flying off in people it's always been like that to me i never wanted our church to be a, a showroom never because that's a lie it's a lie from hell to be that we want to be real and we want to allow God to work in our lives. And when he does, it can get be a mess. As most of you know, God himself is a refuge. In the Old Testament, he had cities that were set aside. He called them cities of refuge. It's always been in his heart. People, you can go to this place and be protected. You can go to this place and be, be secured. In the last days, it may be, I've heard these prophecies, that there's another uh, rise of you know, the Jewish people 
an assault against the Jewish people, and that God will call the believers to take those people and hide them again, like during World War II, Corey Ten Boom, a hiding place. I know uh, Apple Hill. That, they believe that about themselves. The day will come, they've said it, that we're going to hide the Jews here from persecution that's going to come against them. Isn't that amazing? People believe that. Well, we may need to be hid. Christians may need to be hid. What if God created places where his presence was so thick that people couldn't see you? And the, the people coming to get you, to hurt you, to, to hurt your children, couldn't see you. Because God hid you under the shadow of his wing. Because he says, you have said, the Lord is my refuge. I mean, I, we got to start, you know, I'm thinking this is something cool, man. You know, now I will admit this, i got to hurry, but um, I just want to say this. Mankind has perverted that thought. Because I, I, I thought about it, because there's this, there's this thought in the church, it's like the country club mentality. You know what the country club mentality is? I pay my dues, meaning my offerings, then you provide certain services for me. You meet my needs. That's really not what it's, we're talking about here. I think our needs need to be met, but I think Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and your needs would be met. In other words, our heart must be, we want to see the people's needs met, but that's not the top thing on our list. The top thing on our list is the Lord, okay? And we want to come to serve the purposes of God, and in doing that, my needs are going to get met, your needs are going to get met. Did you know the number one reason that people leave churches in the United States is this? They weren't meeting my needs. That's their number one, you know, Hannah tell you in China, that's not a problem. They don't have that problem in China. People go to a church, it's not like, well, I don't like that preacher, so I'm going to the church down the road. They have a different culture there. In fact, she says, she thinks being a pastor in America is harder than being a pastor in China because of the way we are. You got to make everybody happy. You got to do this. We don't, you know. But I don't think I think she's right. But all right, I'm gonna do this one more. I got two minutes. I'm gonna tell you the last one. This is pretty simple. It's called a house of prayer. Mark 11:17. Jesus taught them, saying, "It is not written, My house shall be called what? A house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of thieves." In other words, God. Jesus himself is saying the church, the house of God on the earth will be an interceding, a praying house. There will be people who pray any kinds of prayer. And if you, I don't have time to read all this, but this is wonderful to me. In Luke 11, it says in verse 1, these guys came and said, Lord, uh, teach us how to pray. As John also taught his disciples, he goes through the Lord's Prayer, goes on down. And, but then he says something mar marvelous at the end about the goodness and graciousness of God answering prayer. He, he said, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? That's what Jesus said. And he asked the question. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? He's talking about answer prayer here. Or if he speaks, asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, think Jesus is saying all this, okay? This is crazy. He's saying this. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Jesus was talking about the generosity, giving heart of God for people who will say, Lord, I'm going to ask you for things. I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm going to ask you to do miracles. I'm going to ask you to change the world that I live in. I'm going to ask you to save this person. Jesus was saying... At the end of his talk on prayers, God is a very generous God who answers our prayer regardless of what we think. God's generous. That was what Jesus wanted us to know. And that we should pray to him. And he calls us to cultivate. I'm not talking about some legalistic crazy stuff because, you know. And the great thing is this. I'm going to finish right here on time. Praise the Lord. Now, Matthew, you did good. Uh, I hurried. Um, verse 47, back to Acts 2. Listen to what it says, okay? They have all these things. They have these four things going warp. Worship, atmosphere, refuge, and prayer. Let's look at the results. Pray, pray, praising God and having favor. That's a result. There's favor coming. Okay? Favor with people. 
God's going to release favor. Y'all should be jumping up and just screaming over that one. I mean, because favor changes everything. Listen to this. This is the harvest verse. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You see, God has this heart for the harvest. When I tell you, if you can get into God's eyeballs and look, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see a harvest. Because that's what Jesus said. Hey, look at that field. Don't tell me it's down the road. He's saying, listen, now's the time to be thinking harvest. Now's the time. And so it's an atmosphere of worship. Okay? Atmosphere of the Father's heart. Okay? An atmosphere of having that refuge to draw people in and take care of them. And it's the atmosphere of prayer that releases, will release us to participate in the harvest that God is going to bring in the earth, I believe, in our day. That we will see this harvest come. We will help do the harvest. We will help reap the harvest. We will help bring the the harvest into his house and help see God do what he does to harvest his souls. Wouldn't that be just an awesome day when that begins to happen? You know, I've mentioned it before. Alton Troglin's memorial. I looked. Sitting there, I looked around the room and I said, is this our future, Lord? And I felt like he said, That's, you're looking at the harvest, son. You're looking at the field. You're looking at the field of souls I'm going after. And he was saying that while they were back there in the back room throwing up all over the place. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a mess. This is going to really be a mess, but it's going to be God's mess. Aren't you all excited about the Lord? This is what God, this is the dream. This is the dream that makes me come in this place and want to get up here and and talk to you and do what we're doing. This is why. This is why. It's to see the presence of God come and say, this is my house. I'm going to live here with you. My presence is going to be here and it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And you get to experience the benefits of being in the house with me. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be awesome to have that? Wouldn't it be glorious if God's felt presence was always coming to us? Always saying that we got to be in it all the time. That's the dream, man. That's the dream. That's what God created us for. And what I share with you this morning is how I believe, at least as of today, this is the best shot I got at it, Lord, of getting there. Amen? So, let's stand up. And ask the Lord, present this to the Lord, okay? Because like I said, no dream is worth having having without Jesus being, without, without it being God's dream. Without God saying, yeah, this is my dream really for you. This is why I put you on the earth. This is why I brought you to Mooresville. This is why you're in this church, son. Come on and listen to me. I mean, that's what God would be saying. Listen to what I'm saying to you. This is your purpose. I created you for this hour on the earth. I placed you here. Let that dream come alive in you. Let it begin to burn in you. Say yes to the dream. Just say, yes, Lord. I say yes to the dream. I'm signing on. I don't know what it means, Lord. It really, right now, I don't care. I probably care when I start getting into it. But today, Lord, I don't care. If it's your dream, Lord, for me, that's what I want. If it's Ephesians 2.10 for River Life, Lord, I pray that it would come to pass. Lord, I just declare that, Lord. I believe that with all my heart, Lord. The dream of God. Father, we want to declare that you're the dream. You yourself, you're the dream. Apart from you, there's no dream. Apart from you, there's no dream. Apart from Christ being the focus, the center of our lives, there's no dream, Lord. It's, it's a nightmare. It's, it's terrible. Bring forth the dream. Lord, heal the hearts in this room to begin to dream again, their own personal dreams. And does everybody, like, like Sarah already prayed, when she said, put your hand over your heart, you know, and ask God to heal you, that was a powerful dream from God. The, your dream, your personal dreams that God's given you, let those dreams come alive. It doesn't matter if you're a young person. That's why it says the old men dream dreams in the Bible is because old people tend to not to have dreams. And the Lord will say, no, 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 no. 
Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and He's going to waken those dreams up in you, cause you to dream again. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come on the young and the old, the sick and the sorrow. Thank you, Lord. Do that this morning and wake these dreams up. Yeah, you know, I wanted to say one other thing, too, about Amanda's word, about the anger. I think that was probably for the majority of us. I don't know anybody who hadn't suffered with anger, right? I'll tell you how bad anger is. Jesus actually made an allowance for people to get mad. You know? Yeah, because he, he, he knew he built us with this. But the problem is, is it went, it's gotten messed up in us. And God's just saying, this is part of having a dream is letting the anger... Letting the anger go this morning. And if, by faith, if you can say to Jesus, I give you my anger about. Uh, oh, I give you my anger because my child died. I give you my anger because my spouse left me. I give you my anger because I, I thought you told me to do this. And I did it and I lost everything. I give it to you today. I give it all to you today. And when we begin to do that, there's a healing that will come. It's not just you lose something, you gain something. You gain the glory of God. You gain the peace of God. You gain the joy of the Lord. And the dream can come alive because the anger's out of the way now and you can begin to hear the, the Father's heart. Thank you for, for sharing that, Amanda. And thank you, Sarah, for sharing a wonderful testimony. Let's, uh, y'all going to do a song, right, Jacob? And then why don't we do this song and then be dismissed, okay? Is that good?